I'm not actually using my computer. I'm just going to Facebook while we talk because <laughs> I'm, I've already know I know what I'm going to say already. So I just need to entertain myself. That's not true. Okay. So this I have two talks of this sort. The the talks are loving our families or loving your family, and the next one is loving our enemies. Some suggested I might just do the same talk twice, <laughs> because, you know, i got to find what I'm doing here. So I have a family. And it consists of myself, and I'm not really going to tell you anything about me because, you know, you already know. And I have a wife. Her name is Marty. Her name is not actually Marty. Her name is Deborah. Her name is Deborah Marlene. And um, when she was born, she was the third of what would be four girls. And her father started calling her Marty because he said, this is as close as I'm going to get to a boy. She's not boyish. She just wanted to be able to call a boy name in the house. So that's why we call her Marty. I call her Martha, which really throws people off because it's related to absolutely nothing. Um, I'm going to tell you a, a story about my wife. I'm going to tell you a little story about everybody in my family so that you'll know them because this is really the most entertaining part of my talk. Um, my wife is a great woman. She is funny. She's the joy of my life. She makes me happy. She makes me laugh like nobody can make me laugh, with the possible exception of Sam, but it's in a completely different way. Sam, my son, not Sam. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, so she's a wonderful Christian woman. She's committed to our Lord in a, in a, in a profound way. She's, she's a good Christian woman. But every once in a while, she likes to make me, mad by being, make me laugh by being a little bit mouthy and sassy. So um, every once in a while, every once in a while, she'll, she'll like give me a list of things that I have to do. Like, you know, the honeydews. But she does it in such, right? You know, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, I, and I tell her that she's, list, I call it listing. You're listing me. I can't, I don't like to be listed. I don't like to, I don't want my life to be structured in that way. I prefer a more unstructured <laughs> approach to life. I thrive under a lack of accountability and structure. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, and, and I, I will call her affectionately a nag. I, I will say, you're nagging me right now. And, and it's fun. We're laughing. She's, we're both laughing when I say this. Ha, 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 I'm not nagging. No, you're nagging me. She's gotten so good at nagging me, she can do it without words. Like, like I, I have a problem remembering to fasten my seatbelt all the time. And so she just reaches over and hits the click thing, you know. The, the, <laughs> or or the, the car will start yelling at me. You know, she's got the car trained to nag me. <laughs> and she'll just look at me. See? So... So one day she was, she was listing me, and I was, uh, you know, getting a little bit fed up, right? <laughs> right, Jeff? No, just quiet. No, man. Yawn, yawn, man. I don't get fed up with my 
So I said, you're, you're nagging me right now. And she says, oh yeah, are you going to go sit on the rooftop? Are you going to go sit on the corner of the roof? And I says, well, maybe I am. And she said, good, while you're up there, clean out the gutter. <laughs> That's my woman. So I have, I have more stories. One day we were at the grocery store, grocery store and... Um, for some reason, I was going to cook something that required potatoes. And I said, hey, do we have any potatoes? And she said, what kind of potatoes? And I said, any kind of potatoes. And she said, no. <laughs> so that's my wife. Our oldest daughter is Sarah. And Sarah has threatened me a lot if I tell embarrassing stories about her, so I've got to pick one that's not too embarrassing. I'm just going to, I'm willing to risk a little injury. <laughs> it may not lead to death. So we were, we're, we're really happy with how Sarah has turned out, and <laughs> we, we had some concerns, and because when she was when she was like three. We said, we're going to go to the store. And we said, Sarah, go get dressed. We're going to go to the store. And she comes out wearing leopard skin tights, a zebra kind of patterned shirt, a leather boa, pink shoes, and sunglasses. And I, you know, she's like a 70-year-old woman in a trailer park named Madge. Where are we going, honey? But she turned out. She turned out great. We're very happy. And that's all I'm going to say about Sarah because she's driving me home. And I, you know. our next our next daughter is Emily, and Emily is almost 17 years old. And Emily's the quiet one. She she's more quiet than the rest. Um, but she's um, a bit of a conniver. And I can say this because she's not here. She's. Um, She's, she's kind of this sneaky kind of thing. You know, she'll do things under the radar. One day, and this story involves Sarah, but Sarah didn't do anything other than ask a question. She came into the living room and she said, Mom, I cannot find any of my underwear. My underwear are all gone. And Emily is over in the corner of the room. <laughs> This is the long con. One by one, she had been taking a pair of her underwear over time and hiding them. And so finally the thing comes to fruition. And so she's... There's something there. I'm not really sure she's going to make it. Um, and, then, and then there's Sam. All right, so Sam's stories are always fun. And I told this story last time, but not all of you are here, and so I feel compelled to tell this story again because it is my personal favorite. Sam and Claire, our youngest, I'll tell you about her in a minute. <laughs> Sam and Claire, Claire was maybe three, and Sam was some years older than that. I don't remember all their ages. And uh, Sam said, uh, hey, Claire, you want to play Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? You can be Rudolph. And he's, she said, yeah, I'll play. He says, okay, I'm going to laugh at you and call you names. <laughs> and she says, I don't want to play. 
And he says, oh, no, I'm not going to let you play. The kid's sophisticated, I'm telling you. So I'm going to tell you a story now about Sam and Claire. They make a pretty good tag team sometimes. So um, I'm going to trust you to not go into a place where where you're not supposed to go. So Sam, we went to a wedding. And the wedding was just an off-the-chart bad wedding, right? It was just this, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. It's just a train wreck of a wedding. We're like, no, this shouldn't, no, no, don't do it that way. But it's terrible. And apparently, the sister of the groom was not told the right time to be at the wedding for the pictures. And so she was upset. And she let everybody know that she was upset. And so... On the way home, our family is riding, and my wife, Martha, says, she was so upset, she was dropping the F-bomb right there. And Sam, in the back of the van, said, what's the F-bomb? <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, what do we do? And I'm like, thank you, honey, thanks, this is great. And so Sam says, oh, I know. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And he goes, he goes. <laughs> and I was, yes. I'm, I'm safe for another who knows how long. And then Claire goes, well, Daddy, you dropped the F-bomb all the time. <laughs> so it's a whole new level of, no, you, no, we're, don't ever say that. Don't. So, that's Sam, and Abigail, our fourth child, is the sweetest of the Haddocks. She really is the kindest, the, the sweetest, she's the most compliant most of the time. Um, and she's 14 right now, and the most dramatic creature on the planet is a 14-year-old girl. So everything is uber drama, right? Everything is very dramatic. But it hasn't always been that way with Abigail. One time, Abby came out of her bedroom and was proud of her outfit. And she had on a pink shirt, a different, like, pink skirt thing, different color pink, you know, and pink, right? You get it. And then she had a different color pink tights on. She had, like, eight different things on that were pink. And, and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, what do you think of my outfit? And, you know, I mean, I didn't want to say, that's the horriblest thing I ever saw in my life. <laughs> you look like somebody threw up Pepto-Bismol. I couldn't say, I couldn't say that. So I just said, honey, that is a lot of pink. And she went, thank you. <laughs> and she really, really did. All right. And then there's Claire. I, I can't really say a whole lot about Claire yet. She's 10, but we're still not sure. We're, we're, I mean, she's a, she's a wonderful kid. She's smart. She's funny. She's, pr- she's pretty. She's always at the center, exploding in the middle of everything. She's just this big personality thing. And she's a hoarder. Right? She's the only legit, full-on hoarder that we have. But one day, um, my wife and I are standing in our bathroom, and... Claire comes scooting in behind us with purpose. Like she's moving with 
And we're looking at what, what she's doing. She steps into our bathtub. There's a little windowsill. And she reaches into one of the cups and gets one of those little hair ties that you all put your hair up with. She's squirrel. She's a squirrel. She's like burying nuts because our, kid, our kids all fight over the hair ties. And so she's just like squirreling them around through the house. <laughs> so that's my family. And we, we in our house, we value we value humor a great deal. We laugh a lot. I mean, it's, sometimes it's obnoxious. Like, we compete with each other for who can be the funniest and get the biggest laugh and all like that. We laugh a lot. But there are also a lot of opportunities in our house for friction. And we often, like most families, I suspect, forget how to love each other as we ought to. Even though... Uh, we kind of live in a sitcom, right? We're pretty intentional about reconciling when things get sideways uh, and things do get sideways, but we, we try very hard to, um, uh, to, to make things right as fast as we can. Sometimes we do the forced handshake thing, you know, forced hug, you know, I love you, I love you too. <laughs> so I've given a lot of thought over the past, about a year, about conflict and why and how conflict emerges and how it's resolved. And a few months ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was telling me, I really don't like it when people don't do what I want them to do. I was like, yep. <laughs> I, I know this about you. <laughs> I've watched you. No! You know, blow up. But it dawned on me that that's all of us. We don't like it when people don't do what we want them to do. And it doesn't have anything to do with us necessarily. We just think that we're, we love them and have a wonderful plan for their life. And we, we think that they ought to do what we think. And it, it dawned on me that we are hardwired. It is a part of our nature as human beings to want to rearrange the world. We are, by nature, hardwired to make the world the way we want it. When God created everything, He put the man in the garden, and He says, there it is, it's all yours, make it like you like it. Rearrange it, change it, till it, tend it, cultivate it, do something with it, turn it into something else. And the, the instructions were not very specific. Go change the world, is what he told Adam. And then he gave him Eve to help. We are, every one of us, hardwired to want to control the world. And that includes the people in our own household. Our brothers, our sisters, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents. frozen. This could go really, really badly. Or well. Okay. So the impulse to rearrange the world and get it like we like it did not go away with the fall. But it fell. Our desire fell. And so now we rearrange the world in a broken way. The way that we go about 
fixing things and arranging things to get it like we like it is bent toward sin. The reason it inspires conflict for us is the person that we're intent on controlling has the same urges that we do. They have the same impulse. They have the same desire to control the world. And so we love them and have a wonderful plan for their life. Well, they love them and have a wonderful, life, wonderful plan for their life too. They want to do what they want to do. And so while we're trying to control them, they're not only trying to control them, but they're trying to control us back. And so within families, that happens. As God is pronouncing the curses on creation for Adam's disobedience, one of the things that he said was that there was going to be tension between the man and the woman. It's going to be hard for you all now. He said to the woman, your desire is going to be for or, interestingly, against your husband. Your desire is going to be for the place of your husband. Your desire is going to be for authority over your husband. And your husband will rule over you. And so there's conflict now. There's conflict between the man and the woman, the husband and the wife. There's conflict between man and creation itself. So everybody's job got messed up and there's conflict now all over the place. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 4, we see this come full flower as brother rises up against brother and smashes his head with a rock. James said, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires, your affections are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We want what we want. We are going after what we desire. And when we don't get it, we are perfectly willing to at least metaphorically kill our brother. We will fight. We will quarrel. If, if my hypothesis is correct, human nature, fallen nature, our, our impulse to rearrange the world, to get it like we like it, is an ever-present thing, and we are perfectly willing to do whatever we have to do to get it. This can also extend into insisting simply that others do things the way that we think they ought to do things. We not only want what we want, we want others to want what we want for us too. So, if you are enrolled in my desires, if you're after what I'm after... If you want to help me get what I want, then double Fonzies. But if you want to resist me, then that's when we have trouble. Heaven, for many of us, is the place where we go and everybody does things the way that we think they ought to do things. Our idea of heaven is where everybody who is a slow driver, gets in the right lane. Heaven is the place where everybody likes their steak medium rare. 
Heaven is a place where nobody, and I mean nobody, puts the toilet paper on the roll so it goes <laughs> underneath. Can I get a witness? You know the place I'm talking about. Everybody has the same bent that you have. They're, we're working against each other by nature. And so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break your heart right now. And can, this was, I was thinking about this when Pastor, Pastor Booth was talking during the Q&A. Sometimes you tell somebody, can I say something that might hurt your feelings? I'm going to say something that might hurt your feelings. You are not the king or queen of the universe. I know! <laughs> when that hit me, I was like, what? But we are not the center. None of us is the center of all that is. And this isn't a problem that's limited to just family, but it is the place, it is the place where we are most likely to manifest conflict because that's where our closest relationships are. You have conflict with people you're close to. You don't have a conflict. I don't know if anybody in here, and I would be surprised if anybody in here actually had a conflict with somebody in Botswana. They're not close. They're not in your path. They're not within your proximity. We have conflict with people who are close to us. Those are the people who disagree with us. Those are the people who get in our way of getting what we want. It is my mom, and my dad, and my husband, and my wife, and my children, and my brothers, and my sisters. Those are the people immediately that prevent me from getting the world like I like it. Now, this is supposed to be a talk about loving your family. And so the question is, why am I talking so much about conflict? Because as Pastor Neil said before, we know what to do. But if we, if we don't understand the nature of the reason that we're given this command so many times in, scri in Scripture, then it's more difficult to, to surmount. Over and over and over, God the Father tells us, love one another. Sometimes it's be kind to one another. Sometimes it's say nice things to one another. Sometimes it's be encouraging to one another. Sometimes it's lay down your lives for one another. But over and over and over again, God is telling us to love one another. Jesus said over, He said repeatedly in the Gospels, the two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these, as Pastor Jeff pointed out this morning, hang all the law and the prophets. Everything comes down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But those are the two hardest ones. It's hard because people want to get in our way. As a father, I encourage my children more than anything else. This is the thing I say to my children more than, I promise you, more than anything else. Love one another. Speak kindly to one another. Care for one another. Love one another. Say good things. Encourage one another. Because it's the same reason that God the Father has to talk to us so many times about this very thing. We need to hear it over and over and over again. So I tell my children over and over 
and over again. I used to think that I was doing a lousy job as a parent because I had to keep telling my children, would you please be kind to one another? Would you use kind words and kind tones? And I thought, I must be doing this wrong. I already said this and they're not complying. I was thinking, you know, way back a long time ago when I was super dad, that I would speak, my children would hear, the lights would go on, and we would be in nirvana. We would be in heaven. We'd be, everybody would medium rare, no toilet paper over the thing, and life would be grand. But it turns out that my children, like most of you, or some of you anyway, need to be told over and over again. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, He pleads with the Father. He prays to the Father. Think about it. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus, who is God, prays and asks things of the Father? The Son asks the Father. What He asks for on our behalf is that we would be one. That we would love one another. That the love that exists between the Father and the Son, the very love that exists between the Father and the Son, would exist among us. Perfect, harmonious, communal love. How could this not apply to our family relationships? Particularly family relationships, who, families who are in covenant with God. We are, co- we are all a part of covenant families. We are the ones who are in relationship with God. We, God has made a covenant with us. So if this applies to anyone, surely it applies to us. The family is the, is the first society that we encounter in our lives. It's the first thing that we know of as we come kicking and screaming into this world. We know our family. In our families, we learn how to be related to other people. In our families, we learn how to submit to authority. In our families, we learn how to love. Now, when we go hunting through the Scriptures, say, okay, where's the, where's the Bible passages that deal with the family? The most succinct one is, found, is a passage found in the Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so I'm going to read this. This is 522 through 6.4. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. If you remember the fall, your desire is going to be against your husband. Your desire is going to be uh, to rule over your husband. Your desire is going to be to have authority over your husband. And now Paul is saying, wives submit to your husbands in everything as, Christ, as the church submits to Christ. And then in 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you see that his wife, that, that, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I don't want to tease out all of the details that we find there. There's a whole lot there. I mean, it's way more than we would have time for tonight. But it is clear that Paul is concerned about the rightly ordered family. And in this passage, he is telling us how we are to love each other according to our various roles. Wives, contrary to the reality of Genesis 3, are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. While this is likely to look different in every home. I mean, there's no, like, you know, instruction manual and the wife has to wear this on Tuesday and, you know, talk to her husband using these words. It's not, it's not like that. And so it varies from family culture to family culture. What is commanded is clear. The wives, wives are to be in submission to their own husbands. In our time, this comes under tremendous assault, but that doesn't change it. This is what, this is, if your home is to be rightly ordered, this must be so. It isn't proper to circumnavigate the command here by saying something cute like, well, the husband is the head and the wife is the neck and the neck turns the head. So you can't just say that and say, well, that's how we get around that one, you little Pharisees. <laughs> Husbands, for their part, are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I know that everybody in this room has heard this before. Has anybody not ever heard that before? Is this new information for anybody? Right. You've heard it 11 billion times, right? But think of it. Think of it. Husbands are to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life for her. There's, there's not a more profound idea to me as a man, as a husband, as a father that my duty for my wife is to, to lay my life down. My duty to my wife is to lay my life down for her. That her life to me is more important than my own. Men, as you consider taking wives, don't miss this. You're taking on an enormous responsibility. This is how you love your wife. You give yourself over for her. Doug Wilson has said in one, he said it in a, a, a wedding homily once. He was talking to a, 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 the, the husband and wife as they were becoming husband and wife. And he said to the wife, um, no, he said to the husband, your job, your duty is to lay down your life for her. And then he looked at her and said, your job is to make sure that he doesn't have to. That's how we love 
each other. Children are to obey their parents, to honor their parents. It is to live a life that is honoring to the parents. When the, when the father and the mother say, this is what we're going to do, the children joyfully and immediately say, okay. Even if it's not what they would want. This also is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words that deals with our horizontal relationship. The first relationship, the first commandment that deals with human relationships is to children saying, honor your father and your mother. And then to fathers, he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate your children. We are to father our children, to be fathers to our children in the same way that our Heavenly Father is the Father to us. Now, I do have some practical suggestions. Um, I'm going to probably not make them, though. I think that you can fill in those blanks for yourself. What I want to do is I want to present two ideas to you that I think will be helpful The first one is this. The love that Christ has for us, the love that Christ has for us, is precisely the love that we are to have for one another. The love that Christ has for us is precisely the love that we are to have for one another, and this certainly pertains to our families. When we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, that love is patient and kind, love does not... Envy or boast, it is not rude or arrogant, it does not insist upon its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You can say that Jesus, Jesus, loves us in that way. But I want to take a a, a liberty here, and I'm going to ask you to, in your own mind, And if you need to write it down, you can, but I'm sure you can figure out what's going on here. I want you to put your name in the place of love. And then the object of your love, your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, whomever, and put it in at the end of it. So it goes like this. Rob is patient and kind toward Marty. Rob does not envy or boast. Rob is not arrogant or rude to Marty. Rob does not insist on his own way with Marty. Rob is not irritable or resentful toward Marty. Rob does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but Rob rejoices in the truth, particularly where Marty is concerned. Where Marty is concerned, Rob bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things and he endures all things. That's how we are to love one another, particularly in our family relationships, because it is the first relationship. Now you'll notice that feelings, that we talked about before, feelings do not come into play here. That's not 
Love makes me feel a certain way about fill in the blank. Love does this. Love does not do this. This is the way we love one another. The second thing that I want to point out here, or bring up, suggest to you really, and this one is a little bit more abstract, but we are, we are to set each other free. Now we had a little joke before, that if you love someone, let them set them free. Right? There's, there's truth to that. Because that's what Christ is, does for us. He liberates us. He sets us free. Now, he doesn't say, go and fly away and, you know, go into the woods or skip and go naked or whatever it is you want to do. It's, it's not like that. But he sets us free from things. He sets us free from bondage. Most of the time, in one way or another, we in our human relations want to keep the other person that we are in relationship with in some kind of bondage. We want to put them in an emotional headlock so that they are somehow beholden to us, so that they have to do what we say, what we want them to do. What I'm suggesting to you is let them out of the headlock. Let them off of the mat. Let them, let them out of jail. Let them free. Let them be who God is creating, who has created and is, and is forming them to be. When Jesus came, He set us free from the demands of the flesh. He came to liberate us from false gods. We can do that for one another by not insisting that people do what we say. Our sisters and our brothers and our parents, and when you get married, your wife or your husband, your children, don't hold them captive. Let them be who God has created them to be. Now, it doesn't mean that you let them walk in sin and do things that are destructive and all the rest. And we love is a, a thing that becomes an enemy to their sin, as Pastor Steve Wilkins talks about in his book, Face to Face. But we do not hold them in bondage to us. We let them be free. Liberating one another means that we do not insist that others serve us or comply with our demands to live up to our way. Family relationships, I joked at the beginning that you know, we could do the same talk two times, love your family, love your enemies. Family relationships can get sticky. They can get messy. But the only person who has control over your involvement in your family relationships is you. And as Pastor Neil suggested earlier, you know what to do. And so, go and do that likewise. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are in awe and grateful for the love with which You loved us. You sent Your only Son to be our Savior, to redeem us, to bring us out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. And the means by which He did that was to lay His own life down. He called us friends and brothers.
Father, enable us. Enable us to be obedient to His commands. Enable us to love our families as we ought. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.